Lately, I, I, she's told me, don't ever question me. I quit questioning you, honey. You're always right. <laughs> Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 11 and 12 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. I've entitled this message, Our Light Affliction. Our Light Affliction, part two. And I, with, with that said, please keep in mind what Stephen went through. Keep in mind what Saul of Tarsus, who was consenting to the death of Stephen, what he in turn went through and why he went through it. Keep in mind those people that we read about in the book of Hebrews who were sown asunder, who were subject to cruel mockings. Keep in mind those that we'll read the verse in just a short while over in Romans chapter 8 where he talks about that we are killed all the day long for thy sake. And you tell me the lot in life for the child of God is not one of trial and tribulation. I hope this morning I can define these things for you. Because I'm going to tell you what, what the world, the religious world, considers to be tribulation is not tribulation. It's just consequences in their lives is all it is. Like I told you in the message last Sunday, one thing I know of, well, several that I know of, but one thing I know of when it comes to the life of the child of God, every single solitary one of them, one thing that's absolutely certain for every man and woman that's born of God. Here it is. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and what had they done? They'd been moral and kind and upright and fed the hungry and clothed the naked and built houses for everybody. Know what they do? They, when they had preached the gospel in that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, listen to this, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Do what? Abide in Christ. Continue in His Word. Continue in his doctrine. Continue in his truth. And then he added this. And he, they had encouraged them to continue, exhorted them, admonished them, instructed them, continue in the faith. And then they told them this. And that we, including themselves, we must through much tribulation, all of us, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That Greek word translated tribulation, it means oppressing or oppressing together. Or the best definition of it is pressure. Through much pressure shall we enter into the kingdom of God. That's what the apostles had been taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. I read it to you last week. I'll read it to you again. He said to them, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have in me. You hear this? In me you might have peace. In the world, in the world, you shall have tribulation. Not you might. There's a possibility. He said you shall have tribulation, pressure. But be a good cheer. I have overcome 
Because who's going see that's the thing. Who's going to put the pressure on? The world is going to put the pressure on. I've overcome the world. It's tribulation or pressure God's children face while in this world. For the most part, and this is where religion has run off the rail. For the most part, it has absolutely very little to do with either physical ailments or financial hardship. Are people disliking you just because you dress different or speak funny or wear your hair different? This tribulation imposed on God's children by this world and by the world, what are we talking about? We're talking about those who hate the light, won't come to the light, lest their deeds be reproved that they're evil, lest they be shown that they're not resting in Christ, His blood, His righteousness alone. This pressure that's put on God's children through the world, it has everything to do with an uncompromising stand God's redeemed take on how God is just to justify the ungodly. Listen to our Lord's words concerning those who were merely professors of faith and their response when tribulation comes to them. Now listen to it. Big deal of difference. This is a parable of the sower and the seed. Remember that one? He spoke the parable to them, and then the disciples said, Lord, interpret it for us. This is his interpretation of the parable of the sowers and seed, okay? He said, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that, what do they do? They heareth. They hear the word. That word heareth means to, to, to be endowed with physical hearing. So They heard it with this ear. They heard the word. And anon, that, that word anon means immediately. With joy, they received it. In other words, I, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Yet, here's the problem. Hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while? For when tribulation, there's that word. Remember, in the world, you'll have what? Tribulation. That's a promise from our Lord. When tribulation or persecution ariseth, and it arises for one reason, because of the Word, because of what they're preaching, what they're teaching, what they will not compromise, by and by what happens to them, they're offended. I did. John was right. They went out from us to make manifest they were not part of us. Because if they'd been part of us, what would they have done? They'd have continued with us. And that's what God does. God sends the tribulation. He uses the world to do it. And when tribulation arose in these people who had heard with their ears and claimed they believed it, when they began to be persecuted for that message that they claimed that they loved, and receive with joy, what happens? I can't go that way. It's too much. That's a bridge too far. And see, Christ went on. He showed us the difference between mere professors of faith and those who are born of God, because he goes on. He says, but he that receives the word into good ground, and you've got to interpret things in light of the Scriptures, there's none good, no, not wood. So you didn't make your heart good. So why Solomon said this, who can say... I have made my heart pure. You can't. 
So this making a good heart, this isn't me preparing myself to receive the way. The reason it's a good heart, who did it? Who made the ground good? You receive the seed into a good ground. That's a regeneration work of the Holy Spirit. Is he that hears the word and not he doesn't just immediately rejoice in it. He says he understands it. Why? He's been taught of God. She's been taught of God. Which also beareth fruit. Bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Here's the difference between a professor of religion and one who truly possesses the grace of God in Christ. They abide or they continue in the truth. You cannot get them away from it. If you can be removed from this truth, you don't know this truth. I can't put it any more simply than that. If you can listen to some other message, you need to go listen to some other message. Because Paul made it clear, John made it clear, all the apostles made it clear. God's children abide in that which is their only hope, ground, and cause of salvation, the blood and imputed righteousness of Christ. That's where they stand. That's where they live. That's where they die. These all died in faith. The just shall live by faith. John put it as, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. You know what it means? Continuous. The one that doesn't continue in the doctrine of Christ Hath not God, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Like we saw last week, Paul knew everything that we're talking about here to be true in his own life personally, but in spite of it all. because Paul was at this time, and he wrote, he was being persecuted. He was enduring tribulation for the right reason. But yet in spite of all the problems and difficulties, the threats of death and the hatred of people who were formerly his friend, by God's grace in Christ, he could dogmatically, without any question, proclaim, as we have received mercy, we don't faint. We keep going. We keep proclaiming. We keep talking about that which we love. Because we love him because he first left us. Now that, that we left off at last week. Look, we're going to look at verse 11 this morning. He says, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Here's Young's little translation of that verse. For always are we who are living delivered unto death because of Jesus. That the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our dying flesh. Now, yeah, that sounds kind of similar to what we talked about last week in verse 10. And it is. I, I think it's kind of like a verily, verily. It's, this, whatever he point he's making here, it's so important, he makes it twice. That, that verse, the previous verse was this, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. What Paul and the apostles had experienced is exactly what all those who believe and declare the same gospel would experience. Paul told the Hebrew believers this, 
Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Where? He was outside of Jerusalem. Now listen to what, he, what it says to us. Let us, therefore, since he was outside the camp, let us, therefore, go forth unto him, outside the camp. He didn't die in, in the Judaistic faith. He died up on a hill by himself, right? Let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp. Listen to this, bearing his reproach. I told you this last week. Our Lord made it very clear. If they hate you, know this, what? That they hated me before they hated you. Those at Rome, Paul wrote this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Persecution? Distress? Famine? Naked? Nakedness or peril or so and And it's a question. Remember what I've told you? When there's a question asked, it can be answered in the get positive or negative. How's it always answered? No. Who can separate us? Can tribulation do it? No. Can distress do it? No. Can famine or nakedness or peril or sales or, or, or a sword do it? No. If you, you kill the body, what have you done? You kill a child of God, where do they go? But then he, he went, reached back over into the Old Testament, as it's written. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Who? Who's he writing to? Well, everybody wants to claim, oh, I love this first, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that's in Christ Jesus. I love Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is in the same chapter. And what's promised you? You killed all the day long for Jesus' sake. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. I think the Holy Spirit moved Paul to cite David's testimony here in order to prove that none of those evils that he mentioned in verse 35, not any of them, can separate the believer from this one thing that's the most important thing to them. What can none of this separate me from? The love of Christ. Nothing. Oh, preacher, you mean if I sin great? I'm not trying to make an excuse for our singing. Did not King David sin grievously? I think, wasn't it Jephthah? Wasn't it Jephthah the one that said he'd go to battle? And he, when he left, he swore an oath that if God would let him win the battle, he said, when I come back home, the first thing that walks out of my door, I'm going to kill it, offer it to you as a sacrifice. It ought to teach us something about making oaths with our mouths. He came home after he got to battle, and when he, he had one daughter. And when he rode up as a victor, you know who the first one was out of his house? That one daughter. And what did he do? He was faithful. To, his daughter encouraged him to be faithful to the vow. Dad, you made the vow. You got to do it. 
Even that was forgiven, Jephthah. I think about Manasseh. Remember that message I preached on Manasseh? How evil and vile a creature that man was. Yet the Lord showed mercy on him. I think about Mephibosheth. When he sees David's servants coming to fetch him to carry him to be with David, all he knows and all that maid knows, they're fixing to kill off the rest of the lineage of Saul. And they come in and they get him and they bring him to David and they throw him, but they don't throw him down. They place him at David's feet, at David's table. And he looks at David and he said, What am I such a dead dog that you would show favor to me? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. It also proves that suffering of God's children, I think that's why he went back and grabbed that from King David. It proves to us that this isn't something unique to New Testament saints. Old Testament saints suffered too. And you know what? They suffered for the same reason that, that we suffer for. Why did they put to death? You remember what Stephen said? You kill God's prophets. What did they kill them for? They didn't like the way they were dressed? No, they killed them for the message. Isaiah told them what? Though your sins be like scarlet, he'll wash them white as snow. With wool. Or wash as snow. Though they be like crimson, he'll wash them white as wool. For him to make that kind of statement against the national Israel, what's he telling them that they are? Unregenerate sinners don't like to be told they're sinners. We know God justifies the ungodly. He says in our, in our text, Paul's next words, he said, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Notice, for we which... In other words, every living, breathing uncompromising, justified child of God, you know what they're going to do? They're going to suffer persecution and they're going to suffer tribulation not for their character and their conduct or because of their sin, some sin that they committed, but for Jesus' sake. Or literally for righteousness' sake. You know what our Lord said? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not theirs. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say man, all manner of evil against you falsely, but they do it for this reason, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, or for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. It's nothing new. There's no change. Men are no different. Our devotion and loyalty to the honor of God's character, our, our loyalty to Christ, our loyalty to His gospel, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our refusal to speak peace to sinners apart from the only hope and cause of peace, it'll draw the same hatred, the same hostility from the world that Christ Himself suffered unto death. The same enmity it reached its culmination in the crucifixion of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it now pursues all those that he chose out of the world. It does. 
This reproach is the very thing that evidences the life of Christ in us. Because this reproach is evidence, it's what's happened to us. God's been glorified in our hearts, and we truly love God by His grace, trusting Him to deliver us from all our sin. Now listen, there's no, no, no doubt, because I know a lot of people seem to think that I don't care about obedience. Don't care about how you live or how I live. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you've ever got that from any message that I've ever preached here, shame on me if I didn't put it, make it clear enough. Our responsibility is to be the best we can be. Hear me? We should be more faithful in attendance of worship. We should be more faithful in giving to support the gospel ministry. We should be more faithful in prayer, more faithful in duteous in study more faithful in trusting His promises than any other creatures on the planet. Out of grace and gratitude to Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. And I can promise you, I know this to be true of every child of God, we want to be Christ-like. Now, you do. I do. But here's the thing. You know, people say... Let others see Jesus in you. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. They didn't even see Jesus in Jesus. When they looked at our Lord, what did they see? He's a glutton and a wine bimmer. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. That was holiness incarnate. He was truly holy, Kenny. He was perfect in his character and his conduct. He Listen, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Not one jot or one tittle of pastor in the law till they're all fulfilled. And he fulfilled every single solitary one of them. And I know it to be so because when he gave his last breath, he said what? It is finished. Righteousness was accomplished. The law was magnified. God was glorified. Sinners were redeemed and saved and justified by what he did. And yet they look at that glorious person and they say of him, He's the friend of publicans and sinners. He's a glutton and a wine member. This man's a sinner. So if they saw that in him, what makes you think by your outward character and conduct and your personal holiness, they're going to think you're Christ-like based on that? they got a warped view of what it is to be Christ-like. Here's Christ-like. Our Lord walked into the temple which they were perverting and what did He do? With Christ-likeness, He took a whip and drove them out. Here's Christ-like. He stood before the most religious, moral, sincere, dedicated men and women on this planet who thought that they had kept God's law, who thought that Abraham was their father, who claimed we have one God, even God, and He said to them, You Here's Christ-like. You are of your father the devil. He stood before sinners and told them, he said, No man can come to me except the father which has sent me. Draw him. Drag him. Because we won't go there on our own. No man can come to me, repeat it again, except the father, except it's given to him of my father. We all want to be Christ-like. There's no doubt about it. We know that. But here's the thing. One of the greatest ways believers are truly Christ-like is by refusing to speak peace where there's no true ground of peace. 
when we refuse to compromise that which glorifies and honors God. What? Grace alone and Christ alone based on his righteousness alone with no contribution in any way to any degree at any time by any sinner. And I am looking at the clock this morning, okay? It's 10 minutes to the hour, okay? I got 10 minutes to wrap this thing up. And I'm almost to the end, I promise you. And see, this, this refusal to compromise God's glory and salvation by Christ alone it, it's, is evidence that one's a true disciple of Christ, of their being Christ-like, truly Christ-like. Paul told us, we read it in the Sunday Bible class hour, he said this, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Let him or her be given over to divine destruction. And here's the thing. All you got to do, all you got to do in order to remove all the tribulation he's promised you that you're going to receive as a child of God, that you're going to suffer for righteousness' sake, is just merely compromise God's glory. Just remove that item that men and women thinks makes the difference between life and death and say, that's okay. And I give you a scriptural example of it. The Apostle Paul said this. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, that's, a, that, that's not even part of the law. It was given to Abraham, covenant with Abraham, certainly. He said, if I, and they were accusing, they, they, those false apostles were saying, Paul believed in circumcision. They got that idea from that time probably when he circumcised Timothy. You know, he participated in that. And they said, well, see there, he thinks that circumcision makes a difference. But Paul was, he said, if, I'm pre- if I truly preach that circumcision makes a difference between life or death, why do I yet suffer persecution? In other words, if I'm in agreement with them on this thing, why are they still persecuting me? Because he said, if you, if you add that, add anything, baptism, walking the aisle, reading your Bible, praying, being more moral, being more sincere, being more dedicated, being more what men and women think saved is and what lost is not. You do that. He says, if I do any of that, add one thing, then the offense of the cross has ceased. See, this message is offensive because what does it do? It shuts everything we do out. And we constantly, by nature, want to cry, what can we do to be saved? Paul also wrote this, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen there, this is dying in the body every day by whom the world's crucified unto me. This world's dead to me. But not only is this world dead to me, I'm dead to this world. I'm crucified to this world. They see me as a dead man. Look at verse 12 real quick. <clears throat> So then death worketh in us, but life works in you. You know, Paul, most of the apostles, and many of their disciples, you know what ultimately happened to them because of their testimony of Christ? Every one of them. Only no one of them escaped the sower. And they loved him so much they put him on aisle. <laughs> Paul was beheaded. Stephen supposedly, I mean, uh, Peter was supposedly crucified. They all died. 
for their testimony of Christ. All of them do. I always think about Stephen, that that I read to you this morning, as he stood before those Jews. You think about it, knowing he knew what he was going to say. You know what you have to say. He knew the most important thing to him. He could care less what they thought of him. And I could care less what you think of me. My thought is, what think ye of Christ? That's what he was thinking about. I want to present to them this Christ as clearly as I can. And he knew what was going to happen when he declared that truth. It was going to result in his death. But what did he do? He didn't back up. He preached the gospel. Go back and read it for yourself. Go read Acts chapter 7, verse 8. Read the whole thing. Read it all. And these words Paul wrote here in verse 12 affirm that in spite of, of all the persecution, all the tribulation, and even death, which was coming to, on, on, come to the believer eventually, himself included, Paul said it's worth it. Every bit of it's worth it. Why? The gospel we preach which can bring on all these tribulations and does bring all these tribulations into the life of the child of God. Folks, it's the means by which God is pleased to give spiritual life to each and every one of his elect in every generation. Now, thanks be unto God, which causeth us always to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and to them that are perishing. To the one, the savor of death unto death. And to the other, to the elect, the savor of life unto life. You think about who was standing there when they stoned Stephen. Think about who stood there when he stood up and boldly declared this message. I tell you, Acts, that's why I tell you read Acts chapter 7 and go and read Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 starts out this way. He sat there and saw that godly man killed. Didn't change him a bit. And Saul, consenting unto his death, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. He still hated it. I, tell, I, never, I have never seen anybody murdered or killed. I hope I never do in my lifetime. He stood there and watched him stone this man. Who, he heard those words that he, he, where Stephen said, don't lay this to their account. Was unchanged by it. And yet just a short while later, go over to chapter, I think it's chapter 9, Oh, this same Saul that's not unchanged by this horrible thing that he's witnessed and been part of, he meets our Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and our Lord Jesus Christ looks at Saul of Tarsus and asks him, point blank, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul had never laid one hand on Jesus Christ, but he had been there when Stephen was killed. And heard those words. Do you think Saul, Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, Paul remembered that after the Lord converted him? Don't you think that knowing, knowing what he did, think about it, that dude was bad. 
Do you think about it? This man was evil. This man hated God's people. Hated, wanted them all dead. I know this much. Paul wrote later. He said, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's exactly what Stephen did when they were killing him. I also know this, that Paul would one day, he'd die in a similar fashion for righteousness sake. But he believed this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? It's the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is it so powerful, Paul? For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. The righteous, those made righteous in Christ, live by faith. It's hard to imagine, you think about it, one who was one of the greatest enemies of God and of his church and of his gospel made into one of the greatest lovers and defenders of all those of like precious faith. Listen to me. I thank God, Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful. Now think about what did he count him faithful based on the fact that he was killing the church? No, God was merciful to him. Counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He put me here. Who was before, here's his list. This, this is some faithfulness, isn't it? Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy. Therefore, having received mercy, what? You can't make me faint. You can't stop me from my appointed mission. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And then this glorious saying, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. And wasn't he? A murderous fool. God was long-suffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. In other words, if God can save me with this message, his word, the word of life, Ain't nobody beyond hope. No matter how evil they are or how self-righteous they might be. I used to quote Henry all the time you know, and talk about that there's, there's hope for a sinner, but there's not hope for self-righteous. That's, that, that's a wrong statement to make. I went back and I, I thought about that a long time. That would have shut him out. Wouldn't it? Saul of Tarsus. There's no hope for the there's no hope for the self righteous. Well, I tell you what, there's no hope for us. We're still so filled with self righteousness. 
And I tell you what, what was true for all these saints old is just as true for us today. If we're hated and scorned and persecuted and even killed for Christ's sake, God's still glorified in it. And he'll use his message declared to call his sheep to true faith and true repentance. And the same message of free grace that he uses to call his people to life everlasting. To the unbelieving, you know what it is for? The same message is, it's a savor of death unto death. Who is sufficient for these things? You think about every time we preach this gospel, it's either to somebody's salvation or to their condemnation. Same message. Same message. We'll stop right there. I, Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter next Sunday. My hope and my prayer is that all of us will be taught and led of God to understand the significance and awesome responsibility laid on our shoulders as his ambassadors to faithfully and dogmatically, like Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be sensitive in season and out of season. Anytime God opens a door, uh, gives you an opportunity to preach and tell somebody about Christ, step through it. Be ready. Be ready. Okay, let's stand together. Appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. Mm-hmm.